0: That's Albert in the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome back to the program Fangraphs Prospect Analyst, Kylie McDaniel. Kylie and I discuss his recent scouting trip to Florida and where he sees the 2019 MLB draft class shaking out. We also engage in a little bit of contract extension talk, particularly as it regards Ozzy Albies and bummers. And then, as Fangraphs resident Game of Thrones fans, we indulge in a little non-baseball talk about the show's new season and who we expect to emerge victorious in the battle between the North and the Night King. Warning, there There are many, many spoilers as part of that conversation. Many, many. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of your share of your parents' HBO Go subscription, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including Kylie and Eric Longenhagen's coverage of the upcoming draft, Dan Zimborski, Jay Jaffe, and Craig Edwards on early season trends, and Rachel McDaniel's insightful commentary on the game. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banning. Or ads facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Kylie McDaniel, Prospect Bro, which begins right now. So now we're recording, so you have to stop being controversial.
1: Hmm, I prefer mayonnaise and normal peanut butter.
0: What is normal peanut butter?
1: Well, you've got like your your naturals, your almond butters. Uh, got it. There's a, a hipster coffee place near me, which as you know, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but you know, every now yeah. and then. And a friend wanted me to grab a coffee for them. And so I went and they said almond milk or coconut milk. I'm thinking, all right, they'll definitely have at least one of those, mm-hmm. probably both. Sure. And I said, can I get this with coconut or almond milk? And they said, we don't have those. And it's like a very hipster place. So I'm like, all right, do you see regular milk? And they're like, oh, we don't have that either. And I was like, what do you have? And they said, we have pecan and oat milk. Oh, geez. That was all they had.
0: <laughs> that feels like a very strange selection of hipster things. If you're going to go that route, I think that you have to have. I mean, like almond milk is pretty standard for A lot of people, right?
1: I think it's become too widespread that a hipster place can't carry it anymore. And I mean, we're way past milk milk. Like, oh boy.
0: I mean- That's not going to work. My my objection to this is mostly of the like, you can't call it milk. You should just call it, I don't know, almond juice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's not gross at all.
0: I mean, almond milk isn't better.
1: I don't know. At least it like- I guess it harkens back to a simpler time before we knew what cow's milk did to us. I'm not even sure if it does. I've just been led to believe that it does.
0: I don't know, man. Well, you're Kylie, as people can tell from, you know, having heard your voice before. And you're here uh, on Fangraphs Audio. We're trying to be more consistent with Fangraphs Audio, just generally, since we're all very busy.
1: A lot of of flip-flopping on Fangraphs Audio. You got to maintain a strong hand here. Keep your stances consistent.
0: Really distressing, but we, I thought that you should come on the program because, well, later on in the show, we are going to exchange some Game of Thrones takes because Thrones back. So I'm warning people now that there will be spoilers. But we are recording this on a Tuesday, so if you haven't watched Thrones already, then I, I can't help you. I feel like you um, have made your you've made your bed, and now you must sleep in it while you listen to FanGraphs Audio. But also, there has been there's been just a ton of movement on the the draft board for 2019. And you've been doing a lot of uh, baseball watching with your eyeballs, so I thought that we'd have you on to chat about that and Thrones and some contract extension stuff and uh, and go from there. So does that sound good, Kylie?
1: I, sound this good? is amenable to me. I, I approve okay, this good. agenda.
0: That's fantastic. So Kylie, you should tell the, the people who are listening who we're going to hope have read your latest uh, draft rankings update, but maybe they were busy and so they didn't. We've moved a lot of guys around on the board.
1: Yeah, I can tell uh, when we've moved too many guys around when I have to go through and delete all the up and down arrows and start from scratch again. <laughs> so we've now done that, and I'm now looking at it, and now we've gotten to, you know, like 15% of the guys have up and down arrows, which is probably sure. like, a, that's like a good amount, and that's, yeah. you know, just like one update. But, yeah, I, I feel like the top sort of tier, uh Adley Rutschman, the catcher at Oregon State, Andrew Vaughn, the first baseman at Cal, have been one and mm-hmm. two for a while, and I feel like that's been the a sort of industry consensus for a while for more minor league fans. I guess Richmond is going to be ranked right behind another catcher, Kyber Ruiz. So that's sort of like a comparable, not the same kind of player, but a comparable value. And then Andrew Vaughn is ranked right around that Pete Alonso area. So obviously he's seen as like a very advanced college hitter. That's a right, right first baseman. And then beyond that, there's been like that tier of a couple high school guys, uh, hitters, couple college hitters that have generally been the same guys the whole year. Or I guess the three guys with up arrows that are up in that top tier would be Alec Manoa. Uh, righty out of West Virginia, uh, JJ Day, the right fielder at Vanderbilt, and then Nick Ladola, lefty at TCU. They've kind of jumped into that range, and not a whole lot of guys have like really jumped into that like top 10 to 15 or so. That's been pretty steady about the whole spring, but then just below that from like you know 15 on down is where some, some of the wackier stuff started happening. But it, I don't know, I, I, I guess that's uh somewhat standard for a draft class that there's just going to be three or four guys that started outside of the top 100 that end up being 20. And then some mm-hmm. guys that started 20 that end up being outside of the top 100. Like I, I think that's pretty standard, but obviously like on a week to week basis, there's like certain weeks where there's, you know, five of those types of guys with like big 20, 30 spot moves have all been added in like the same weekend. And so that seems like a particularly topsy-turvy weekend when in reality, it's probably just that's the weekend I heard about it and it might've happened sure. three weeks ago.
0: Sure. And some of these, you know, get staggered in terms of how often we, uh, we, we bring attention to them in our publication calendar because we don't wanna, you know, we don't want to bother people, but we also want to bother people a little bit. I was struck in your um, your recent update on the rankings that there uh, there is seemingly a consensus emerging around the hierarchy of the the college arms this year. It's college arm consensus that's emerging.
1: Yes. Uh Lodolo, the left ETCU sounds like uh, he's in play as high as third or fourth and that he's the consensus top guy. And the Manoa is, uh, I guess, the second guy. He'll be somewhere in that, like, probably eight to 15 area. Sure. And then, and then there's two guys, depending on Kentucky lefty Zach Thompson's medical. He's sort of been a bit of a durability question, kind of gives you different looks based on how healthy he is at the time. If that medical comes back clean, then he's probably number three. And some people think he might not. And so then George Kirby at Elon would be number three. And that, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the guys. And then after that, it's, you know, you move all the way down to 30 or so before you find the next guy. And they all have, you know, various versions of this guy might be a reliever. Or this guy's been good for a week or this guy throws hard, but doesn't do anything else. You know, all those, all those various sorts of things. So that that's kind of shaken out. The college hitters is a little more complicated just because there's, sure. that, there's that glut of them from like six to 13, where they're all just basically the same and they'll move up or down one spot every week. If you're like a really huge draft fan, almost I would say like five days a week is there some sort of adjustment in the list. It's just obviously not realistic to trumpet every one of them. So yeah, if you really want to like see this thing, including the 2020 and 21 classes, because I, I think we're the only place on the internet that's like sort of updating these rankings like that often. And so it turns out a lot of a lot of scouts, like especially area guys, will text me stuff that they had not been in the past because they like sure. they like being able to refer to like if they don't keep 2020 or 2021 like follows right they like they to know the, the list yeah that our list sort of reflects what they think or if their you know boss asks them they can be like oh yeah here's the three guys it's you know Eric and I have actually found that a lot of times it's easier to find our notes when they've been published on the internet than to go through our notebooks and find them sure uh, <laughs> and so I think a lot of times scouts will be like oh I have notes but like if Kylie's missing a guy that's not on the list and he should be twentieth I want to make sure right. he's somewhere on there so I remember who he is.
0: Right. Well, and you're adding to those 2020 and 2021 lists. I mean, what weekly at this point, right? So yeah, it's like it's been a we're going to have quite the stable of of guys when it's all said and done.
1: And I, I didn't mention the agents are also a big part of this because they're obviously recruiting guys from all these classes. And so while right. Scout maybe really bear down on the 2019s, the agents are actually bearing down a little more on the 2020, 2021 guys. And especially the ones that, like, you know, used to be scouts or will send me video makes it very easy to tell where these guys go because it's, you know, not the guys I'm tracking down at any given time.
0: Sure. Do you want to talk about your Florida trip a little bit? Sure. You went to Florida. You went back to Florida. Did Florida welcome you? Was Florida like, hey, Kylie, we missed you. You should have come back sooner than now.
1: It's funny you mention that because I – (laughs) growing up, I knew – no, it, it kind of is. Because I knew growing up in Florida that Florida was like a punchline. Like, you'd watch, you know, like the Daily Show or something, and then we'd just make yeah. fun of Florida. And I'm like, I mean, I, I was born there. It wasn't really a choice, but like, you know, they don't always know. It's like when people make fun of stuff in the South. I have a lot of family in like Alabama, Georgia. I live in Georgia now. And there's like a certain perception, but like, obviously, in certain parts of it, it's not, it's like indistinguishable from New York City in like certain areas. And then other places, it's like deliverance. And I think people just. Sure. Skip the first part and, you know, go to the deliverance part. Um, and Florida, like, obviously, it's similar when if you go to, like, the coastal cities. Like, it's, you know, maybe a little warmer, a little more exposure to water than there would be in, you know, a northern city. But then when you get inland, it's, oh, boy, it is something. And I've now found that I've sort of – since I've sort of chosen to leave Florida – uh, that now when I go back, it's it's almost getting on my nerves. <laughs> like the things oh. that are annoying to outsiders have started to become annoying to me because I don't live there anymore. Wow. Um, so there were certain things like I was uh, I was staying with a friend that had dogs, and so we'd go in the backyard, and Scout would chase the lizards and all that kind of thing, and sure. I would just be like, "It's so hot and muggy. How did I put up with this for so long?" <laughs> it's like you take a step back and you kind of can you know evaluate it a little more uh, dispassionately, and I'm not. I'm not like in a rush to get back down there, but obviously for what I do and where I live, like it's very convenient to go there at least a couple times a year. And I have a lot of friends yes. there, so you know, it'll keep so, happening, but it's not like I'll be doing a backflip every time.
0: So this is like if I ever end up moving somewhere sunny, I will come back and be like, The rain is crushing. My spirit is destroyed. This is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, you're like, I'm not even sure Soundgarden's good. What was I thinking?
0: <laughs> hey, watch out. <laughs> you watch out now. Russell Wilson yourself. could
1: have gone to Phoenix and played for the Cardinals. <laughs> Oh, my stars.
0: Yeah, it it is funny. We will entertain this this quick digression, because why not just do it now? We're gonna do it now. Kylie suffered through several text messages from me being stressed about the state of Russell Wilson's contract as a quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks because I am a fan of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, But now he's going to be a Seahawk forever. So works out fine. (laughs)
1: So what was it? It was a seven-year deal for uh, $45 million? Is that what that is?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like His agent just said, I think this is the best we can do in a given environment at a position of scarcity. Anyway, we'll get to contract extensions and the payoff for that joke later. But tell me about Florida. Who'd you see in Florida, Kylie?
1: Uh, So it works out that Florida has, especially the Orlando area, where I came from most recently, has arguably the two best high school players in the country, or at least the best pitcher and the best hitter.
0: That's very convenient.
1: Yeah. And both in like, you know, in the metro area, essentially. Um, so the hitter would be Riley Green, right fielder at Haggerty High School, right next to UCF. And the pitcher would be Matt Allen, who's in a little, a little North City, uh, Seminole High School. And Allen was really good for like two, I think, into the third inning. And then we had the very signature uh, once it gets warm uh, in the spring slash summer in Florida you get like the twenty-minute rain, like downpour. Like you think everything's going to mm-hmm. be completely canceled, and then it just stops, and you're like, "Oh, it's done now." And everyone just like walks back out on the field. It's a it's a very common thing with the GCL. Is the game starts at noon? Will you get it done by three o'clock before the rain comes, or will the rain come early at like two forty-five and everyone has to run off the field? And then they'll come out twenty minutes later and finish the game. Sure. So that happened. He was ninety-four to ninety-six, touching ninety-seven. His curveball was a sixty or sixty-five. Uh, I didn't really throw a lot of change-ups, but was like throwing strikes. Everything's pretty good. He was, you know, missing his uh, um, release point every now and then, but it was sort of an acceptable level. And then when he came back, he was like 91 to 93 and wasn't quite as crisp. And you could tell like something, had, yeah, it was kind of missing. So at least I got a couple innings of, of the good stuff. I also found from taking the high-speed video that night that a not super well-lit high school field in the middle of the night is not good for shooting.
0: Ah. Yes, we uh this is perhaps an appropriate moment for us to mention that uh you and Eric have some some very nifty cameras that you're uh, using in your, your scouting looks this spring that take incredible high speed video. Yeah, the this this particular set isn't the crispest set that we have on the Fangraph's Instagram account. It's still cool. It still looks cool, but it's not quite as uh the, the contrast is not as uh as Striking as it is on some of the other ones. You're right to say that.
1: Yeah. And I think the the thing I didn't realize, like, obviously, you know, if you take like a picture of a computer screen, like, you know, that it's constantly flickering, you just don't see it with the naked eye. And at night when the lights are on and it's, you know, say 10 o'clock at the end of a 7 o'clock game and it's really dark, those lights are flickering. And so anything taken in that setting is going to have like the flickering, especially with a high-speed video. And it's like, it's like almost like a strobe light at like a club you don't want to go to is going off while Royce Lewis is swinging. And you're like, this could be better. And then I'll do it during the day. And if it's during the day and it's really bright outside and it's like good conditions, but the sun is so bright it's it's on like sort of the viewfinder. So I can't always tell if it's perfectly focused or not. Right. Then that's gonna be like very well lit, but the focus is going to be off just a little bit. And so ideally it's super bright and you're in the stands under cover and you can tell exactly what you've got. And like now it just sounds like I'm trying to be a professional photographer, which I'm not. So I'm trying to figure out ways to like work around this, but it's not it's not always as easy. So like actually today on the Fangrafts Instagram account I put up stuff from the IMG game I went to which was a four o'clock game. And so everything was pretty well lit. And some of the stuff I sort of dialed the brightness like way up or way down, had to adjust it, but that's easy to do. You can't like refocus it. So obviously I prefer day stuff, but this is probably way too much detail for the listener. They just want to see the pretty video.
0: I love these videos, but they stress me out because they, you know, pitching in slow-mo just underscores, when you see it in slow-mo, just underscores that, like, this is a fundamentally terrible thing that we ask people to do. No one should pitch. It's awful for you. You can see every ligament in their arm going. Bleh. So um, I find that very stressful, even though this is ridiculously cool that we're able to, uh, you know, you can just like, it's like, oh, look, there, there, there go them sames. We can see them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and the thing I like is seeing like the like the pitch grip, like how it comes out of yeah. their hand, yeah. Which which it's you don't always know cool. if he's throwing a two seamer or a four seamer. And I can just at the game after the pitch, pull it up and Look. replay it on the thing and be yeah. like, oh, it's a two seamer. All the scouts are like, right. oh, he's throwing a two seamer. I was like, yeah, that's the thing we never knew unless you you know like the guy charting told you,
0: right? Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's very very cool. Yeah, the the stuff that you put up today from IMG is is pretty nifty. These uh, Brennan Malone videos are pretty great. Mm. Yes, thank yeah.
1: you. That, the, the, those are the ones I think I like the most. Uh, the ones yeah. that took just after him, I think, had a little bit of that golden hour quality to the next pitcher. Yeah. So those might actually be the best. But ironically, they'd set it up that uh, Burn Malone and Kendall Williams are the two like top 100 prospects that are on the pitching staff at IMG. And because they only had one game this week, they pitched both of them in the same game. And we were told it would be three innings for one, three innings for another, and then a closer with their the seventh but they were killing this team, and Malone had a really low pitch count, so he went four innings. And then mm. Williams came in through one inning. I got a little bit of video, and I was like, all right, this sixth inning, I can get the rest of it, and I'll be good. And then they scored the 11th run, and he never came back out. And so the rest of the video is him throwing a bullpen afterwards, and scouts are just kind of you know yelling out, uh, like uh, throw, throw like three fastballs and then like you know Kendall will be like all right fastball change or throw a curve and I'll be like Any, anybody else want anything all right yeah we'll give you, give you a few more and we're all like scrambling around trying to get like side video and all the stuff we couldn't get during the game and I was like all right it wasn't you know against hitters or anything but I guess it was good to get something oh jeez, oh jeez, you sometimes get yeah weird situations like that or you get like you know if the Matt Allen game didn't get picked up after the rain if they had a covered sure. bullpen he would just throw inside for 30 pitches and try to simulate you know Competing, but it's obviously pretty difficult because you wouldn't have a hitter standing there. But you sometimes get – there was actually – I remember uh, a game I went to in Huntsville, Alabama a couple years ago. It was uh, Cody Reed who the Diamondbacks took in the second round. And he was like a late pop-up guy throwing hard. And all people had seen him. So it was like a lot of cross-checkers in there to see him. And he did not throw in the bullpen before the game. And he was like about to walk out onto the mound, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what time is it? Is he going to throw in the bullpen?" And this guy's next pair, are like, "Yeah, he he doesn't do that all the time here." And I was like, "Do they not have a bullpen?" He's like, "No, it's down there." He just kind of like plays catch in front of the dugout and then walks out on the mound and throws like three or four ticks too slow. And then by the third inning, he warms up and he's fine. And I'm like, "No, nobody's going to say anything." And they're like, "That
0: seems." <laughs> That seemed bad. (laughs) Yeah. It like not the most effective way to sort of position this guy.
1: And it was like poor competition. He threw like 90% fastballs. And I'm like, I was like killing myself trying to get here from another game. And if I knew I was going to get this, I would just text one of you and be like, how hard did he throw? That's literally all I need to know because he didn't do anything else. (laughs) that's another one of those things where you know sometimes you run into like a game at img where you have like four you know pretty big time prospects and you get you know good video of all of them and it's very efficient and even if they don't do exactly what you want them to you you know like reese Hines didn't hit anything super hard but he like made some contact i got to look at his swing like it's all well and good and so every time you get something like that where you can just sort of have everything all condensed into one game and then i could see royce lewis on the way home he was playing a game in clearwater like that was all you know a great little double up of things and then there's a day where you get one game to see one player and it's a terrible look and you you would have realized that you shouldn't have gone if somebody would have given you a heads up, but they didn't. And you're just like, yeah, that kind of wasted a day, but I guess I got like basically two or three days worth of stuff and one day yesterday. So I guess that just sort of balances it out. There's a level of humility I guess you have to have.
0: Yeah. We don't always have great days at work. Some some days we are less good at our jobs or circumstances align to make our jobs more difficult and we just have to bob and weave as best we can, I I suspect. I think that that is the way to do it so that you're not frustrated.
1: Yeah, well, I feel like I've been talking too much. But let's go to a topic where you can uh, drive the bus a little bit.
0: <laughs> uh, you, you don't want to say anything about Riley Green.
1: Yeah, he's good. He was really good over the summer, and as he's you good. can, yeah, as you can see in the video on on the FanGraphs Instagram, his uh, his hand load gets real big. The, the scout sitting next to me said it looked like he was in a long drive competition, where those guys like basically try to like wrench the club around their head as far as they can. Like that's kind of how he was swinging. And he actually was facing good competition at NHSI the week before. It was like a bunch of teams with guys that throw, you know, upper 80s or 90, and he wasn't that good. And then I saw him against the guy that, you know, was worse than that, and he hit him okay. But uh, there's another prospect on the team, Von Grissom, who's also on the board. And he was basically just as good. And I know he wasn't as good this past summer. And so you're like, all right, it seems like Riley's like, maybe time's a little off. And so I pull up a swing and there's a couple scouts looking over my shoulder because they make fun of how I look like a tourist with the camera. But then when I start looking at it, they're like, oh, let me see what you got there. And I kind of paused it where he loaded his hands. And I'm like, did you guys see him do that? Like, how good are you guys? (laughs) Could you have seen that with your naked eye and written in the report? His hands are really up there. And they're like. Yeah, I mean, we could tell, you know, sort of, but like, it's good to have this like confirmation. I just like you guys definitely <laughs> didn't see that because like nope. I've seen this guy swing fifty times and I didn't I didn't think it was that extreme.
0: Yeah, it does. It is quite. I I mean, remarkable. Not in the sense of like whoa, whoa, but like in a. It is quite notable, especially in the video that you have up on the Instagram. It's like oh, oh my, look at that, look at that there. This is one of several um, videos that you sent me over the course of your trip. I was disappointed that more of them did not feature Scout, but this this one was, you know, it was interesting in its own way, I
1: suppose. Yeah, one Scout had a, a theory that Green was doing this because he didn't want to change his swing when facing a pitcher that was throwing slower. So he's sort of manufacturing more hand movement to kill time and sure. swing, essentially. And yeah. I was like, he might be smart enough, that that's the easiest way for him to do that. But he faced good pitching last week and wasn't quite so good from the guys that I talked to. So he also may just be a little out of whack. But that's all yeah. that's all very fixable stuff. It turns out, actually, the one of the things I found interesting is when you talk to hitting guys, when you ask them, how do you change stuff like that? And they say it's actually not very good to walk up to him and be like, hey, instead of putting your hands here, put them there. Because he might not even right. know where he was putting them. Right. You have to just throw them a bunch of like soft toss or whatever, but throw it quicker than you normally do. And they'll naturally shorten their swing to get to the pitch. And right. then after and then about, about a week. Say- Hey, do that thing. <laughs> yeah, and then after about a week or so, they don't even realize that you changed their swing, and you didn't even tell them. And then it's sort of a natural thing, and that's t- that's typically why, uh, like when you see a guy in the big leagues is in a slump, and the you know big league hitting coach is like, we're working on something. And it's like it would seem to be very easy to like stop toe tapping or move your hand somewhere, but right. a lot of times to do it organically and be able to repeat it going forward and really sort of internalize it, you kind of have to struggle for a week to then sort of fix it like, right completely. Right,
0: right. Yeah, you don't want to be too obvious as you're miyagiing people, I guess, because uh, otherwise they get in their heads about it.
1: You yep. you ever miyagi me?
0: No, your copy's perfect, just as it is. I never have to change anything. It's fine.
1: It's like in Men in Black, where he goes like, "Hey, you ever flashy thing, me? <laughs> you didn't answer. Uh, Do you
0: flashy thing, me? <laughs> Oh boy. No, I think, uh, you know, clear communication with your writers is a, is a much better approach. People don't want to feel like they're being handled. That's not a great feeling for anyone. So you just got to be upfront with it. But I can imagine that when you're battling years of muscle memory and also the thing that has gotten you on scouts radars to begin with, uh, it might require a more delicate approach. Right, might require a little softer touch then.
1: Sometimes my copy is missing humanity.
0: No, that's very rarely true. Sometimes it does have a, a bevy of uh, investment metaphors that I have reined in. But you've always been you've always been receptive to that feedback, so I think it works out fine.
1: I, and you I know. thought with your investment background, you'd try to turn it into um, <laughs> I don't know, I, I banking graphs. Oh no, God
0: yeah we're not we're not uh, engaging in private equity graphs here or at least we're trying hard not to uh, but people should go follow the instagram account cuz you and eric are both uh posting the results of all of this lovely high speed work that you're doing uh it'll be very fun to watch it evolve as you both get more expert in sort of the optimal way to use these cameras but it is pretty it is pretty nifty especially for the guys who um are likely to be uh, important in this draft class to get to see them, uh, in a more up close and personal way. So people should go look at that. Do you want to talk about thrones? Oh, wait, no, we were going to talk about contract extensions first. We're going to talk about a sad real thing before we talk about a distressing fake thing, which is that, uh, you know, there are all these contract extensions and we will talk about the specific thoughts that you had on the Acuna and Albies deals, but It is seemingly the trend that every good young player in baseball and several of the youngish but less young players in baseball are signing contract extensions, and some of those deals have been pretty close to what we would expect Market value to be were these guys to sit around and wait until free agency, but some of them have been shockingly light and have resulted in many swears in the Fangraph slack. And I would say that these two Brave deals fall squarely into that category, as opposed to the category where we say like, "Hey, good, hey, good job, Mike Trout. Like, look at you, you're worth a, a bunch of money now." So, yeah, Kylie, what's what's the deal with these uh, Braves deals? I need you to be. Uh, a representative of the organization. <laughs> that's not fair, but you still do have those backpacks. So that's
1: true. Yeah, it's, one of them has a hole in it, so I'm, I'm having to repair that. We
0: just. Ha- Why are you repairing it? Why aren't you getting new luggage? No, I, I mean, to- I'm
1: going to do that too, but it, that just feels like something I'll do when I have a little more free time, which is like not really right now.
0: Oh, I guess that's well, fair. Well, because Plus- I'm, a,
1: I'm a type A, so like I need to be able to do hours of extensive research for this thing that'll be on my back for most of the year. I can't just like sure. really nilly go buy one. Sure. If somebody else enterprisingly wants to tell me what the best thing is with some convincing case, then I could skip all that work, but I, I haven't found yeah. that person yet.
0: I might just, um, ask David Appleman to, uh, add Fangraft's patches to the Fangraph's store. And then we could just stick them on top of what you already have. And you could just keep the same backpack because I do know that you know exactly how many protein bars fit into the luggage you have. And at this time of year, when you're, you know, you're traveling so much, you're working very hard. It's important to know uh, what your sort of refueling potential is at any given moment. So I, I appreciate why you might not want to switch midstream, but we do have to get you some new luggage. But all of that to say, what's the deal with these extensions, Kylie?
1: So I, uh, I, I sent you- we very
0: loose on this episode. We're just going to be very <laughs> loose today.
1: I, I heard Jeff Passan on the Slate Sports podcast of- Which is the name I forgot. Um, Hang up and listen. Yes, that is what it's called. He pointed out something that I had not, I don't know if I had read his long article about the, about the, like both extensions or like the, you know, sort of the postscript to all of these extensions. Uh, But he mentioned that the last internationally signed, as in, you know, not like a Puerto Rican to the draft, but like an international country amateur. So typically we're talking Dominican and Venezuelan, like that's those sorts of guys. That the last one to hit the open market and get a meaningful contract was Kenley Jansen. Which I was like, that can't possibly be right. And then I started thinking yeah. about all the guys that got big deals. And I'm like, yeah, none of them signed through the international process. Right. It seems like it's all, you know, it's like the big league Japanese guys or the big league Cuban guys. Those are the Latin guys that get money. And then obviously you have like, you know, some of Latin descent guys like Manny Machado. But like none of them have been signed through that process. All of those guys signed extensions. Right. Which seems unbelievable. But I think that is because at some point you can be like, well, if you're Alex Anthopoulos, you just sign your two best long-term assets to great deals. So like from his perspective, he did a great job with like sure. what he was presented. If we were Braves Grass, we would be like, "What a great job." Right. And then from like Ozzy and Acuna's perspective, like they wanted to get security and money, and you could make an argument that in their specific instance, that 45 million and 145 million doesn't change their life at all if they're not sort of like big, you know, consumer people or they want to um, own a team or whatever, that I can right. definitely hear the argument that that doesn't make any difference for them. So you could say that they did a good job because, you know, there, there's a lot of well actually extension people on Twitter like, well, what if he broke his leg tomorrow? And I'm like, he's still making 500 K right now and he could accept an extension where you get all of his arbitration years paid out with one option. Like it's not like those were his two options were a terrible deal or no deal or get an insurance policy and try to ride it all the way through to free agent town. Like Scott Boris's clients typically do like there were tons of options and I would say like the. If we had to do some sort of like weighted average of what they would make the rest of their careers, it was probably something like $150, $200, $300 million, depending on which player we're talking about. And now that right. number is significantly lower because the period where they would have gotten all that money has now been locked into a very low number. So from, from their perspective, you could see it being a positive for them also that if their number one priority was stay with this team, sign a deal now get me as much sort of cost certainty, the biggest amount of money you can get me. If you have to sign something right now, you could see it as a success for the players. Now the issue would then be, it is nowhere close to a success for the players union. And for sort of the labor markets in general, it is also terrible. Right. And that is more a function of, I think poor incentives being put in place for agents. Uh, I think poor job of sort of assimilation and financial literacy from the Players Association, and then obviously the Tony Clark-led negotiation last year being about as disastrous as you could imagine for a number of reasons. Like, those things together is what led to this being a bad thing, even though you could see Alex Anthopoulos, Acuna, and Albies walking away from this with a smile on their face and not paying attention right. to the media that everyone's hearing— the media is all focusing on what everyone other than those three people should want. Like these agents may never get clients again. <laughs> and right. maybe no agent of a big agency wants to talk to Alex Anthopoulos about an extension again, because he's going to be asking for unreasonable deals as he should, because obviously right. as evidence through this and some other transactions in baseball, like sometimes you get that deal if you keep asking for it. Right. And so then using what Passon said, or I guess it's a fact, but he re- <laughs> he reported the fact it's like, Oh, there's obviously something happening here uh Like, someone on one of the Well Actually people on Twitter was like, well, uh shouldn't Ozzy know what his value is? Like, maybe this is just what his value is. I'm like, well, it's obviously not. Right. But secondly, who's giving him advice about this? Like, right. it's obviously his sort of inner circle, which the sort of most qualified person would be his agent. And while we don't know exactly what happened, the agent is heavily incentivized to get a cut of whatever number he can get today because he might get 0% of whatever big number comes later. And so if that's the only sort of fiduciary who has no legal requirement to actually give good advice and be held to account for it, then there needs to be a better way to handle this. And right. it's almost like if we just published uh, like an extension calculator that all of these would be going much better because there would be an impartial third party to tell the player something that the apparently the union's advice is not getting to them and that the agents are not giving so yeah it doesn't it doesn't make me feel great even though the parties involved may feel great about it and like the big picture it's kind of bad
0: Right. And, you know, you're right, I think, to point out that this is sort of, there's a a not totally unique, but there is a set of circumstances here applying pressure to these particular players, right? And that they they both, you know, neither of them came into a big bonus when they signed, right? They want Mm -hmm. to be in Atlanta they want to be together in atlanta cuz you know works a lot better when you have work friends <laughs> it's good to hang out with your pals and so i think that they're you know they were perhaps particularly susceptible on an individual level to pressures that would make them think that hey you know like this is this is life changing money even if it's not as life changing as i probably could have gotten even if i had just stuck it through in arbitration raises and then you you do need to be able to rely on on an agent to say No, like Ronald Acuna, you're in every MLB commercial as one of the future faces of the league. So maybe we hold out for a couple of years and see how arbitration goes. And then, you know, if you want to sign an extension when you're a little closer to free agency and you have, you know, an established track record and also we have you in every freaking commercial, uh, we perhaps could do that. It's just – it's quite concerning. It's concerning for what it means for free agency. It's concerning because these guys are now not going to be in the arbitration pool. And so as comps for other players, their salaries are going to be absent, right?
1: Yeah. It's and not great. And I would say looking at the at the, the sort of passive fact that I keep repeating – it would seem that the areas where we're saying things have failed, which is getting good information for the players, right. the, the players being willing to switch agents, typically to a bigger agency when the situation warrants it, if the smaller one is not serving them, and to also sort of have financial literacy and also have sort of market literacy, right. it would make total sense that the players that sign for low bonuses from third world countries that you know may be supporting many family members that's the difference between them and the kid that played travel ball in Atlanta for ten years. That has you right. know pretty well off middle class family. Like right. they're going to get very different information in that area. But when it comes to like what they're taught in the batting cage, it might be exactly the same. And so it's right. the, the difference between the suburban kid and the kid that grew up in like a shanty town in a third world country. I'm not saying that these guys were exactly that, but obviously there are some examples of that. Right. That's leading to the players that come from more extreme situations financially, in this case more closer to poverty, or in the Kunji situation, he's from Venezuela, where like the, the country's kind of falling apart, which you would imagine was an element of his calculus and all this. Sure. They are not exposed to the three hundred million dollar possibility unless they sign with a big agency right. early on, which often doesn't happen because a lot of times those agencies don't want to, you know, sort of take on these guys as clients when they're in ball, but small agencies will. And you would think that if you're in a foreign country and you hire someone when you're 18 to represent your interests, you're much more likely to trust them at 23 than someone who's from that foreign country who, you know, it's just some guy I met and here's some other guy I met that might be a little better for me. So I don't know how you solve that problem, but like all of the, the differences in the experience in baseball between those two groups perfectly explain like the actual difference in the money they're getting. And so there needs to be some way to solve that, and the fact that the union does not seem motivated to spend a lot of resources and time toward educating younger players, I think now they might be because uh, it used right. to be we, we need to get the thirty-four-year-old uh, free agent uh, some money in that last year of his deal, and now nobody cares about that because we know that guy's not going to get any money. But like making right. sure Acuna keeps a three hundred million-dollar deal on the table that actually is really important. So you need to go find an eighteen-year-old Acuna and make right. sure he understands not only his like responsibility to himself, but then also to every other player, which you know. It sounds like Yasmani Grandal took his responsibility to every other player very seriously to the point where he left a bunch of money on the table because he didn't want to move the AAV of the catcher market down, which almost seemed like too sensitive. But, like, I right. see coming from, and that's probably a good influence right. to have.
0: Right, yeah. And, and there's a balance to be struck there, and I don't think anyone wants to say that, like... You know, if you need to take care of your family, that's the thing that you need to do. And I don't, I don't know that anyone wants, you know, that to be something that we're indifferent to, but there has to be a better balance to be struck between individual incentives that players face versus the sort of collective responsibility that they have to, you know, think of themselves and themselves within the market and sort of the position that they occupy there. Because as you've noted, like, Teams are going to strike this deal every time that they're able to, right? Their, their incentives lie in, you know, every deal looking like Albie's deal. And so they are not going to be participants in that kind of market regulation and you know, that's fine, I guess. Like they are, they have the incentives they do. I think we wish that they would act on them a little bit differently sometimes, but that's not where we're going to find solutions to this problem. So we need to make sure that we're clearly articulating what the actual value of these players is because when we, you know, I would imagine that when we do say our trade value series that both of these guys are going to rank very highly.
1: (laughs) They were already, I think, I want to say they were ranked like 12th and 20th and like somehow they've lost uh, control years in a way and they're both going to move up.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Right. And then, you know, in a in a strange way, these guys sign extensions and this isn't true of every contract, especially the ones that are fairly significant in terms of both their their total value and their average annual value, but they become more tradable assets because you know exactly what the cost is going to be. You don't have to worry about how many control years you get. Uh, you know, I don't think Neither that the graves are gonna be
1: no trade. Uh, provisions.
0: Right. It's not as if the Braves are going to then turn around and be like, great, now we can trade Acuna like we always wanted to. That's not likely to happen. But, you know, it does sort of uh, hem in that trade market in a weird way also because you know exactly what you're getting. You know what Albies is going to make when he's 28 because that deal lasts for the rest of his natural life. It's really a problem. Yeah. And I would also say
1: one one more part of the well-actually extension Twitter was, oh, well, You know, maybe this is a little below market, but he really wanted to be here. And also, if he's so if he's as good as you guys think he's going to be, they'll just tear this deal up and give him a new one. And they absolutely what I will, say, will not
0: do that. <laughs> yeah, what
1: I will say to you is uh no they won't. No, they uh, won't. Because there have been instances of this before. Uh sure. ironically, both Latin players, Salvador Perez and Jose Altuve, signed borderline like usurious yes. extensions. Yes. And what the team did is they said, Hey, uh, you you should be independently wealthy and you're kind of not. So what we're right. gonna do is give you like a ten million dollar signing bonus up front so you suddenly have, you know, some cash to do whatever you need to do with. We're just gonna right. tack five more years on your deal. And maybe you'll get a market rate on the added years, but you're not getting like a torn up deal in your second free agent year when you're making $8 million. You're just, you'll get a forward on what's coming later. Like you just get more years. So that problem cannot be solved. And then the other part is, I think they said in Albies deal, there were uh, no performance incentives there's no, like, you get a suite during a road game. There's no trade protection. They can release you whenever they want. And so, like, all of the sort of Braves fans, that are like, oh, they just love playing here. It's like, yeah, they could also, like, not pick up any of those options. They can trade them whenever they want. Like, there is yep. nothing making the Braves be loyal to him. And we've seen, like, with the... Danny Ainge and the Celtics and Isaiah Thomas. like Someone can like sacrifice their body to save your team, and then you're like, well, it's convenient to trade him now, so we're going to trade him now. And so yep. it's like, that's all part of the deal, which is why the player has to get paid appropriately, because he's sort of going to get treated like a piece of meat, because that's kind of what the contract's trying to do, is like value his production. And so you can't right. put a bunch of feelings in there as part of the compensation, because they're not really going to be a right. factor.
0: Right. So... That's a bummer.
1: Speaking of bummers, oh boy, have you been to Westeros lately?
0: <laughs> doesn't seem great, Kylie. It doesn't seem great. Can we take a moment to remark for a second that it is wild? It is understandable, but it remains wild how thoroughly Major League Baseball has embraced Game of Thrones in its promotions. It is the weirdest thing ever. Dylan, I'm going to do a swear. It is such strange sh- because this show, at its core, is about close relatives sleeping together. It is about people who are very related to each other, strongly related, sleeping together. It is wild that they like this show. It is the least family-friendly show on television. There was a child literally set on fire (laughs) in this week's episode, just a kid surrounded by severed limbs of his friends and family and he was then set on fire
1: it's funny to go back and look at things through like the the view of like an alternative person being like oh this country is so puritanical and you're like well, it's been, like, you know, highly, highly uh, publicized that, like, this show that, like, glamorizes violence is, like, perfect. But then, like, this thing that glamorizes sex is not okay. And, like, all the, like, double standards and stuff. And it's, like, that doesn't exist. Like, Game of Thrones, like, sort of glorifies all of the bad things. <laughs> yeah. but But because it's been accepted by broad culture, it's just sort of, like, you know, some corporate entity is, like, well, we can make some money off of this. So, like, why don't we talk about how, like, Noah Syndergaard was in it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. It is a very strange thing. I don't know if they still offer this, but last year or the year before, there were Game of Thrones hats for, I think, pretty much every team, and they would, like, assign a house to the team. And so, you know, there were, like, House Lannister hats for whomever. I don't remember what team had which, but I was like, so (laughs) that team is now associated with twins who have had children together. There were House Targaryen teams. So it's like s- other siblings who marry one another. It's just very strange. It is a very strange thing.
1: Their incest is his better intention, is to keep their line pure. The other one is that one was more for pleasure, that, and that's, that's not okay. Is that
0: better? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Uh, I don't know. And still, in spite of myself, I, I I was saying to someone yesterday, it's like, they're probably all going to die and become ice zombies. So I think uh, John and Danny should get well again good. I'm rooting for those crazy kids and their dragons and their weird up relationship. Dylan, I did another swear. You should bleep that one too.
1: Maybe you'll get endorsed by Major League Baseball now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's here's my question for you. Yeah. So I have had some conversations with friends. I for the listener, I had never seen Game of Thrones. I knew some of the, you know, some you know, red wedding like all some of the, the big events. Sure. And then I started from the beginning It's some time in February and watched the whole thing in like 6 weeks. Um so it's all like very new to me and I'm like going back and interacting with some of the, you know, like recaps and stuff from like years ago so that I can feel like I, you know, had the experience. So I was talking to some friends about like who's going to die, who's going to win, like how's it going to finish whatever. And I have had to sort of imagine what it was like if you were watching season one thinking this is going to be some sort of real standard like King Arthur nonsense. And then the one famous guy who seemed like the hero gets his head chopped off. And that was, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of like the big turning point when the show became big because it was just like, oh, that's not what this story is. And then obviously Ramsey Bolton at one point is like, you've been paying attention if you think this is going to have a happy ending. Mm -hmm. But as we've gone on, it becomes very clear, I guess, the um, the nerd term that I've become aware of is plot armor. Where oh. someone can't die because they have to be there at the end. And so you're watching like a battle and it's like Jamie Lannister running toward Daenerys trying to kill her. And it's like, oh, now the dragon's going to kill him or he's going to kill her. And it's just like, of course, none of them are going to die. They have to be right. there at the end. Right. And so the show that started with whatever you think is, get, you know, could happen, the opposite's going to happen or anything's possible. And now it's just like, well, we're all just going to be going toward the battle of Winterfell or, you know, whatever the sort of ending is. And so right. now my thought is if we're trying to figure out like who's going to win and who's going to die, is it going to consciously do a rope-a-dope and turn into the Night King wins, everyone dies, this was always what the show was, and you guys were idiots for thinking that it was going to be a happy ending? Or was mm. it that to make it a compelling story, and now the good guys are going to win, and it's going to almost be like every Marvel movie at the end?
0: Well, I think that was part of the problem with last season, because you're right, there were definitely people, it's like, I I have a feeling that John's going to make it to season eight. <laughs> I feel like that's probably given going that it appears to the
1: entire story is about him,
0: right? So there, there was some of that last year where it was a little, it was kind of a bummer to not have the the sense of danger, right? That you had. I I watched the first season late so i i caught it like right before the second season was about to premiere and so then i read the first book but really like enjoyed it and liked the show and didn't want to know what was going to happen so then i stopped reading the books and then uh you know i started writing about baseball and didn't have any time to read those books cuz they're very long so i've i've read the first two Uh, and so was quite surprised. Like the, I didn't know that the red wedding was coming. I would have been one of those people with a reaction video, but no, I don't know. I think that, um, I think a lot of people will die. I don't know if the good guys will win or not, but even if they do, I think many, many, many people who we like a lot are going to die. uh, What do you mean? uh, You're talking about the ALEs right now? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Worried about that worried about that um i think everyone's, everyone's gonna die uh <laughs> blake Swihart's already gone no <laughs> oh, that's a weird choice The yeah. socks are weird right now so
1: so so how do you feel like it's going to end do you feel like it's going to be a marvel movie or it's going to be a ha 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 everyone dies at the end you idiots
0: i think that most people we like will die at the end
1: and then there'll be like a couple there'll, there'll, but be, I think- there'll be two heroes left to to over the ashes and every, everyone's yeah. just laying there
0: yeah, I think it might be something like that. I think that uh we'll have some noble sacrifices and then uh you know, I think a lot of people will die, but ultimately I think that it'll probably be triumphant to some extent. But they're also damaged now. That's the thing that was so striking about the premiere. It's like, "Wow, you've all killed a lot of people that you all care about." <laughs> So you know, like
1: Jamie shows up and just like spins in a circle and it's bad. like there's five people and four of them want to murder him. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, right. he probably can't just like walk into whatever pub he feels like.
0: Right, yeah. It's like I think that you should probably stay in the castle, friend. You should stick around and not not venture out at night.
1: Alright, well then who do you feel like are some of the, the people who may die and it sounds like the next two episodes, there's gonna be a lot of death.
0: I think that Jorah Mormont is not long for this world. I think that Grey Worm seems toast. He's kissing someone in a in a preview, and people who are uh, romantically happy, I think, have to die in this universe. So I think he's probably he's probably uh, not long for this world, which is sad because he's lived a tragic life. He will probably die tragically. I think most of the Starks will remain intact until the end of the season. I don't think they will all make it, but I think most of them will remain intact till the end of the season because they will be uh, destined for bigger conflicts. I'm worried about Brienne.
1: Yep, that was the other one I was going to say.
0: And I will not take that well, so <laughs> I'm prepared to be very upset. Do, if do she her? Do her and it. Jamie
1: have a moment before she? Goes? I
0: hope so. I hope it works out for those crazy kids. Who? It's so weird that we root for anyone in this show because, uh, with the exception of like John. And I guess Sansa somewhat. They've all done just the worst stuff, and John has been at times very boring in this show. I think that, you know, the character came along and he's he's more interesting now. But, you know, he's just sort of a, a broody handsome type, and that gets boring after a little while. So
1: How long do you think it will be until there's a headline on graphs that includes the phrase chaos is a ladder?
0: I don't know. How long is it gonna be until Jerry makes a trade again? <laughs> Probably about that long.
1: That one picture of him like smiling wildly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pointing. That boy has a red balloon.
1: If he takes on a little finger oh, in- intonation accent, I don't, I don't know how to. Or one of them. There seems like, well, yeah, I was ten. gonna say
0: which, which one would you like? Uh, would you like him to lay claim to? Uh, West no, Baltimore
1: one, I think, is his best.
0: I mean, it's going to be tricky for Jerry to to do that because he's he appears to open his mouth all the way when he talks, um, mm. which has been part of the problem. I do miss, I I kind of miss Littlefinger a little bit. I feel like that uh, that that vibe isn't present in the north because Cersei's all the way down in uh, King's Landing. You need a more obvious schemer. I don't. I think we miss a schemer.
1: Yeah, I all was going to say the schemers
0: now are well intentioned.
1: Yeah, it seems like all of the. Um, oh, sorry, scouts' food uh, robot just got going. Um, it seems like all of the people who are have sort of fully embraced the dark side, whether they've admitted to, to themselves or to everyone or not. It's like pretty much just Cersei now. I guess everyone mm-hmm. else has like some sort of redemptive arc going on. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my question. The Night King. What, yeah. What's his deal? I don't feel like we know very much.
0: <laughs> the Night King. What's up with him? What's his motivation? What he's, what's he up to? I don't know.
1: Are we going to find out? Is there one?
0: I think we'll find out. He's sending messages. You know, he's making, he's doing art uh i think he was in
1: season one of true detective if i'm like reading those symbols correctly (laughs) yeah gosh
0: lit a literal child just on fire and we were like yeah you light that child (laughs) on fire we were rooting for that that was a that was an applause moment in the show i was like oh good glad they took care of that horror child
1: don't speak for me but also yes i was (laughs)
0: Yeah, we were like, "Oh, thank God!"
1: So here, here, here's my stance now. Um, I I'm not a fan of the Patriots. I don't really enjoy their whole deal. Sure. How, however, I recognize efficiency as a uh alternative finance bro, oh, and geez. and I feel like the Night King is not being because you know you watch like a movie from the '80s and like the villain walks on screen and he's wearing all black and they play the bad music and like you don't really get a chance to appreciate him, especially uh-huh. if you're watching it when you're like you know a kid. And now I'll watch some of those things and be like, you know what? I think the villain's got a better point of view than than the hero here. Because the hero just seems to be like into being the hero. And like it's not always for the right reasons. You know, when you go back to like the Jim and Pam stuff. Like if you look at, you know, take away all the like mugs to the camera and you play evil music when Jim's on camera. It's like, yeah, you could kind of see him as a villain too.
0: Yeah, he he has moments of being kind of a d- So here's, Dylan, here's my you point. Can, you can bleep that or not. I leave it to your discretion.
1: Right, it's a very loose show.
0: Very loose show today.
1: There goes the machine again. Um, So here's my question. So, the Night King, uh, you know, we're made to not like him because, I don't know, he has a bad complexion. And uh, he is
0: trying to kill every living thing in the kingdom.
1: But I will say, not aware of his benefits package, but inspires a lot of loyalty. They work together. He's been very effective. It's Belichickian, I would even say. And while I don't want my kid to play for the Patriots, uh, you know, I'd rather him play for Clemson than Alabama, say. Um, it's hard to deny scoreboard and so far it looks like the Night King's in pretty good position right now
0: so you're one of the people who watched the last Avengers movie and you're like you know Thanos he might have a point
1: I mean I wouldn't go that far but I wouldn't say he doesn't not have a point
0: (laughs) oh geez we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna disavow that as part of the official editorial policy of fangraphs.com
1: I'll say this he's very mindful of resources and I'm out of snacks right now so obviously there's something there (laughs) I, 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 just want to see if the, if the Night King shows up at Winterfell and mm-hmm. decides to have like some sort of, you know, like in most, you know, of these like sort of, um, you know, King Arthur type stories, sure. like before the battle, they'll have a little discussion. I mean, it's happening in Game of Thrones also. Yeah. I want to see him walk up and have like a totally reasonable stance and be like, Hey, my, uh, my son's buried underneath Winterfell and I'm just bringing all these people to make sure that you guys, you know, keep the words you made with me a thousand years ago that I can have my kid back. And they're like, that's what this was all about? He's just like, yeah, what did you think I was doing?
0: Why didn't you say that to begin with? <laughs>
1: yeah, why don't we communicate? Your name's Ted the Night King?
0: <laughs> there were so many. Ted, there were so many zombies. Did we have to do that, Ted? Yeah,
1: this this is my ice dragon, Steve. Have you guys not met?
0: <laughs> oh, boy.
1: I wanted to turn into like a, like a goofy, like sort of three's company. Like there's been some sort of mix up. We've got to keep the charade going to keep our yeah. rent down. And then let's just solve this stuff because I think the the sort of arc that if you were to take, you know, the end of season one and then apply that to what we have right now, um, okay. I think it will be that the Night King kills everybody and then sure. he jumps on his dragon and tells all the, you know, the zombie people to jump on the boats. They head over to Essos and just, you know, eventually all humans are dead. But, like, I'm not sure that, that – that's not really a great story. So, like, obviously there has yeah. to be, like, a defeat at some point. So I would imagine it will be in Westeros. But – Yeah, I just hope it's not one of those like "M Night Shyamalan Signs" level thing where it's just like, oh, it turns out to beat the Night King, all you have to do is sprinkle some water on his head, and (laughs) turns out he's real good with frozen water, but you know, not the not the liquid stuff. I also thought at the end of *Hard Home* when like the you know the whites wouldn't get into the water, I'm like, I'm pretty sure they could just walk on the bottom of the water and then climb. Like, why did they do this? Wasn't
0: this wasn't this part of one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies where they're just like walking along the bottom of the ocean? I don't understand. Or the
1: Night King could have grabbed a spear, which apparently he can throw with no arc as hard as he wants and hit any target, even if it's in motion. Like, he could have killed everyone by now, so clearly something else is going on other than him just wanting to murder everyone else. I feel like he would have already done that.
0: <laughs> oh, See, no. now i See,
1: now I'm portraying him to be a merciful leader of a very loyal army- He's
0: literally engaged in a genocide against all mankind.
1: Any, any incest that we know of on his side? I don't think so. He's been stealing Mm -hmm. babies and then baptizing them in some weird way and having (laughs) them walk around with him. He's feeding them. I don't know. Everyone else has done some version of like, uh, you know, murder of someone that they said that they wouldn't murder and then some sort of incest and then, uh, starving the people. And like, as far as we know, he's just walking and, you know, people that get in his way get, you know, mowed down. But I mean, the NFL's doing that. I didn't think I'd come down pro-Night King, but he's got a compelling case. God.
0: You're like the people who watch Star Wars and are like, The Empire, maybe they have a point. (laughs) That's not the conclusion you're supposed to draw, Kylie.
1: Maybe, well, I would like to be able to think more independently than the show would let me. (laughs) I feel like I'm not getting like an un... This is not the no-spin zone. I'll say that much. Oh. Oh, brother.
0: You have any more Thrones takes? You had any more takes about them, Thrones? I'm sad that we didn't see the elephants. I joined Cersei in being pissed about that. Where, where are our elephants? I wanted to see those. Mad about it. Uh, I don't need us to spend any more time on Theon. He can just, just kill him. That so many people have died on this show and that guy still alive. I don't understand.
1: Do they think that that or the brand as the 3 eyed raven are like compelling at all? Cause I feel like both of them just make me want to jump off a building.
0: Well, as someone who is amused by people who are awkward in social situations, I'm kind of digging Bran this year because just like watching his family react and realize that their brother is real weird now is actually delightful television. That I'm I'm on board with. But yeah, we don't need any more Theon. Just kill him.
1: I, I also feel like going back to the Bran thing, he's had so many instances where someone will walk up to him and be like, oh, it's my brother. He'll be like, I'm not your brother. And they'll be like, oh, what's your deal? And he'll be like... Some, like, super cryptic thing, which is like, oh, I am a part of the East and the West. And you're just like, what? Just say I'm the Oracle. I can see the past and the future. Like, this is very easy one sentence, dude. And so I feel like that sort of backs up him possibly being the Night King or having some sort of allegiance or he sees himself as a referee and so he's kind of helping both sides equally or whatever they, it is like him do being, look
0: similar also which is disconcerting
1: it just seems so e- or like he could walk up to uh sam and be like uh, hey your parents are dead because like he knew he just didn't tell right? him but he's been hanging yeah. out with him the whole time it yeah. seems like if he was 100 percent helpful he would have been more helpful and if like you know the night king just wanted to murder everybody he would have murdered more people so like i feel like there's something going on there and i feel like they're whether it's misdirection or not, they're definitely seeding that they could have, you know, Bran is not 100% good and the Night King is not 100% evil because they're both like sort of pulling some punches that they don't need to.
0: I just like that you have something else to think about besides baseball because it's nice to have outlets, you know, especially during busy times. So you got to have something to distract you on Sundays. It's a good thing.
1: Yeah. And I'm, and I'm out on Cersei. I, I feel like she's too similar to, to other people in my life. <laughs>
0: I'm going to hope that I am not who you mean when you say that. No, you have a totally different haircut. Oh, that's true. My hair is still long and, and luxurious.
1: If you ever cut it short uh, and dye it blonde, I will, I will yell shame at you.
0: Okay, that's fair. I would not be a convincing blonde. That would go terribly. Uh, and my hair, one cut short, uh, is quite a bit curlier than hers, so I'm glad to be putting up these barriers between me and a Sturcy Comp because that would be disconcerting. Kylie, I'm going to propose that we save your home improvement talk for the next installment, your next visit to Fangraphs Audio, or perhaps uh, another ambitious crossover event on the Untitled McGonaghan Project, because we are coming up on an hour... And you know we got we both have work we have to go do.
1: And I would say after the Game of Thrones, the season is over. Then I think this could Fangraphs Audio could just turn into a Westworld theories podcast.
0: No, I'm out on Westworld. I don't do Westworld. I'm not there's no it. incest. There. <laughs> That isn't why I like Game of Thrones, although I, I, you know, I am rooting for those crazy kids. Uh, No, I don't care about, uh, I don't care about Westworld. I tried to care because people who like the same kind of TV that I like were like, Westworld is interesting. And then I was like, but it isn't, though. The thing about it is, no, it's not.
1: For me, it was almost like the paint by numbers, interesting stuff, like what J.J. Abrams or Lost was. It was just like, oh, look at how much mystery there is. It's interesting. And you're just like, I don't think it is.
0: (laughs) yeah, it's like I'll just watch Twin Peaks again. So, so that's that. what what uh, people should be looking at the board?
1: For mm-hmm. regular
0: updates to well all sorts of things, uh, but for for our most immediate purposes, for information on upcoming draft classes, particularly the 2019 draft class, because the draft is the draft is quite early this year. It's like a what a week earlier than usual. It's that first uh, week in June. Feels like it's coming up very very quickly. Well,
1: that's accurate. And the t- as of today, the board is up to 288 players.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: You could oh argue that's too many.
0: I could argue that. But we are nothing if not completists.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, we're definitely something.
0: No, we're something. So people should check out the board. Obviously, can read uh, Kylie and Eric's prospect words, Fangraphs.com and Fangraphs.com slash prospects. We should check out the Instagram. People should follow the Instagram, which is mostly um, uh, high-speed video of – it's mostly draft guys, although we have had some minor leaguers in there. Yeah,
1: we mix some pro stuff. I got a I got a very Derek Jeter esque moment from Royce Lewis a couple days ago that'll probably go yes. up tomorrow.
0: Yes. And uh, we may eventually convince the two of you to put a uh, high speed video of the pets up on on the Instagram, but we will probably save that for, you know, less serious times after the draft is concluded. And uh, you know, you're on Twitter where are you on twitter kylie wait,
1: wait why did you call me euron i don't no. feel like i have much in common with that.
0: oh no no terrible you are on twitter.com so people should follow you there where can they follow you on twitter kylie
1: I, i'm at kylie mcd i'm just laughing that scout's uh, food machine is going off like 10 times in the background
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh dylan we will leave that to your discretion to to keep in or take out as you as you will want to But yeah, it's been an hour. Kylie, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for distracting me from my actual work.
0: You're welcome.